And I think those direct-to-consumer brands are the ones that are probably suffering the most. These advertisers are also the ones that tapped into social media and search digital marketing avenues. And a lot of the times they don't have experiences with attribution specifically. And marketing is usually the first budget to get cut. When you are a smaller direct-to-consumer brand, no matter how successful you are, we're starting to see them turn towards agency partners to get the help where they need. That's Carly Foy, Director of Sales at StackAdapt, our sponsor on this episode of the Digiday Podcast. Later in the show, Custom talks with Carly about the changes agencies are experiencing and how they can address remaining skills gaps. Paramount is the home of popular, like the most-watched show on TV, Yellowstone. It also delivers hits to every audience across TV and streaming, from the NFL on CBS to the most-watched preschool franchise, Paw Patrol, beloved comedies like Ghosts, reality franchises like The Challenge, and enthralling dramas like Criminal Minds, Evolution, and Rabbit Hole. Popular is Paramount. See more at Paramount.com. podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm the senior media editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. All right. So, Kaylee, we had the short form creator series um, that we wrapped a few weeks ago. And this is kind of a bonus episode, but then also like a separate, you know, standalone episode, because as much as we like doing the creator series, we also don't want to want to make sure we're not limiting ourselves to only talking about creators for like one month out of the year. So this week you spoke with Tway Wen, who um, is a creator within BuzzFeed's Creator Network, which I think is getting a lot of attention lately. Yeah. So Tway, I wanted to speak with her because she is a YouTuber, a TikToker, an Instagrammer. She kind of like runs across all of the platforms that, you know, we've discussed in the creator series, but it ended up being better as a standalone episode because we did talk a lot about her role, uh, or Buzzfeed's role in her job too. So how she, uh, hosted a tasty show for Buzzfeed, um, that was, you know, published against Buzzfeed's channels and, you know, reached Buzzfeed's audience, which, you know, is like 20 plus million followers on, uh, or subscribers on YouTube. So like she works a lot with Buzzfeed. Um, and yes, given Buzzfeed's immense focus on creators, uh, in their, you know, going forward plan, I think, you know, Jonah, CEO Jonah Peretti has talked about creator content being a hopefully golden goose for Buzzfeed, um, as they move ahead in their business journey. But we talked about, how she works with BuzzFeed, how BuzzFeed's um, creator network has helped her improve her own personal channel content as well. Um, but then, like, we, I asked her about the, like, ad side of things, if BuzzFeed's creator network has been beneficial from, like, an advertising perspective for her. And while she does, like, you know, get pitched by BuzzFeed to brands, she said that, you know, most of her business is still driven by her, which was interesting. So, yeah, I mean... Definitely could have been included in the creator series. We talk less about short form vertical video in this one for sure. Um, but yeah, I think just the fact that she's, you know, in a creator network at BuzzFeed, she's very focused on longer form video and also is a restaurateur now. Like that was a huge part of our conversation as well. So like I'm definitely glad we were able to do this kind of like 
quasi bonus episode of the creator series. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what she says about her relationship with BuzzFeed because BuzzFeed obviously has a, a tricky track record when it comes to working with creators um, and you know its relationship with creators. You know, a handful of years ago, not being so great, but now it's you know trying to. Um, as you mentioned, like do a lot more with creators, which I'm sure, you know, cost savings is one of the considerations there. Um, but, you know, then what is the relationship for creators and working with BuzzFeed in 2023 compared to what it was in, you know, 2016, 2018 timeframe. So looking forward to it. Thanks, Kayla. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Wait, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to also say that you have the perfect podcast voice. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So um, first question for you. I'd love to kind of get some background on how you got into content creating and uh, posting about, I mean, cooking is such a core part of your uh, work online. So curious how those two kind of like came together. Were you cooking beforehand and that's what inspired you to start posting online or were you already posting online and cooking was a hobby? Like how did you kind of bridge the two and develop your online career? So I have always wanted to like be a YouTuber, I guess, or like just post content and to be in front of the camera. Like my mom, when I was younger, my mom loved taking photos of me. She loves putting me um, on stage to perform. Like, so I just, I loved that. And I've always been gravitated towards the camera. And so when I was in high school, I was watching a lot of YouTube. So it inspired me to start it, to start creating my own channel. But at that time, I didn't know what to focus on, like what my niche would mm -hmm. be. Um, so I would just kind of post like random vlogs about my life, uh, recaps of like my graduation, um, makeup tutorials, but it wasn't anything substantial. Like I wasn't really uh, giving anybody anything, like any type of value. I was just posting about my life. Um, but then I decided to go to culinary school and that was when my interest in food was really growing. And so I kind of changed from just posting aimlessly about my life to kind of a more curated food um, blog vlog type style uh, where I would just visit restaurants, eat in front of the camera. I would make videos of me eating and just talking to camera um, mukbangs. And mm -hmm. at that point, I didn't show people that I knew how to cook or I didn't show recipe videos yet just because I felt like I was still learning a lot in school and I had no place to like show people recipes and show people how to do things if I myself felt like I still had some learning to do. So then it wasn't until COVID um, was it was like I was just like you know I can't visit these restaurants but I do know how to cook. So I'm just going to post a recipe video. And I posted my first like recipe video. It was a fried rice video. And that went viral. So that was when, that was the moment when I knew that that was, that was my niche. That's what I should be sticking to. That's awesome. And so was that primarily on YouTube? Like, would you consider YouTube your main platform? Because you have big presences on TikTok and Instagram and also even Snapchat. Like, 
I guess, how do you kind of view the holistic social media landscape as like a content creator now? There's so many social media platforms. Um, so it's obviously started on YouTube um, and I was making money off of YouTube. But then I've, all, I've always loved Instagram. I A lot of creators hate Instagram just because it's just it's always changing. Like there's always something new. Like once you get like the momentum of building up your, uh, your following and your posting schedule, like they, it changes and the algorithm mm-hmm. changes. So that's why people hate it. But I don't know why I just have like, Instagram just has a special place in my heart. Um, and TikTok, but TikTok was the one platform that really blew up my content. And that was where I found the most success. So that audience um, kind of poured over into my other channels. Um, and then now I am also using Snapchat. I've always used Snapchat, but I'm more focused on Snapchat now just because like, I feel like my content on Instagram and TikTok is pretty curated, meaning like I sit down with my um, content team and we write out scripts and we write out um, like just content strategies of how we want the videos to be. But on Snapchat, it's kind of just very loose and very um, chill. It's not produced like it's just an everyday thing and I can reply to people um it, it makes Snapchat makes it really easy to reply to people. Um, so yeah, like there's just such nuances in between like all the social media channels where I'm just like, TikTok is so different from Instagram and Instagram is so different from Snapchat. And then now YouTube introduces YouTube Shorts. So that's even like a, a whole different beast. It's just like, finding ways to navigate through all of that. Yeah. And I think that's a big theme. Like, so we just did the creator series on the Digiday podcast and spoke with, um, you know, four other creators who want, like each episode kind of focuses on a different like platform, right? And like the core of it though was short form video, short form vertical video, which like YouTube coming into place with YouTube shorts and like you mentioning TikTok is a good kind of channel for like bringing audiences into other platforms but like Instagram is this kind of like almost like legacy like curated platform at this point like there's so many different channels and they all seem to do something very different like for the creator's purposes which is really interesting but I'm curious because you mentioned like working with your content team to sit down and really go through like scripts for each platform and kind of um, working to to figure out what the vibe will be for your post. Like, what does that planning session look like? And how long does it take you to, like, orchestrate all of these platforms, like, in any given week? Hmm. So how long does it take us? It takes us, like, a few hours, but I – my content team, I – recently changed to a new production company and I am now currently working with like one of my best friends and mm-hmm. people tell you not to work with your friends but I feel like if your friend is serious about their craft and they get their shit done um it just it it works you know so we sit down and uh we plan out like two months in advance of what I'm going to be posting so that means how many recipes I'll be posting a week, um, 
how many cut downs of those recipes. So like we try to uh, utilize one video and make it into like multiple videos. Um, so mm-hmm. if it's a recipe video, we can have a separate cut down for an ASMR uh, video or like a funny little segment that was in that video. We'll do like a social cut down for that. Um, so when it comes to like, that's that's when it comes to like my original content, but also when it comes to brand deals, we take that very seriously too. And so we like, we sit down and we talk about like, okay, what is it that they want? What are their messaging key points? Um, and then we write that into the script, but in a way where it's also like my voice and not so much of like, oh, this is an ad, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a new team. Uh, we're trying to like find that balance uh, right now where I'm still adjusting. So it's honestly, I'm just, I'm just trying my best out here to to be yeah. ahead and to also and to also um uh to be ahead and to also at the same time pay attention to like I usually don't say this but pay attention to like the trends really but not really like the trends but like what's going on because like right now we can be 2 months ahead of my recipe videos but then tomorrow there could be a brand deal that comes in that needs us to be that needs us to turn it in like by the end of the week. The turnaround time is so tight sometimes, so it's just like, yeah, it's a balance, right? And like I think, like to your point of like responding to trends, it's almost like making sure content is like fresh too. Like I get like the the delineation between like you know with TikTok specifically. I feel like there's this like idea that you're following trends if you're like doing a dance or like using a specific filter but I think there's also like a responsiveness to what's going on in culture too and just like making sure that you know you have the most impact especially when it comes to brand deals too like to make sure you're staying fresh and like like vibing with the audience there because it changes so fast the environment is such a fast platform it changes so so fast it's like it's a balance between like making evergreen content where you don't have to like where it's like your content that like your original content, but also like balancing like what is also going on like online, you know, like what what can you comment on or what can you reply to or just anything really? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I guess like the other big thing that I want to talk about in this episode, because, you know, your channels are really interesting and really important. I'm also curious about your partnership with BuzzFeed and Tasty because you you were the host of Making It Big, which is one of their shows. Can you talk a little bit about like when you started working with BuzzFeed and when you got that gig as the host of that Tasty show? Yeah, um, I remember my manager coming to me and he was like, hey, how do you feel about like taking over a show on BuzzFeed? And he told me that I was making it big. At first, I was um, kind of nervous about it just because like it's obviously not my show. Um, And I'm taking over like a host position that so many people love that like original host, right? So I didn't know how the audience would react to like me taking over a show that they know and love so much uh, with the old host. So um, it wasn't until like I got, 
I think I had to do like a, a screen test. Yeah, I had to do a screen test. And I was like, okay, I, I was able to meet like all the producers and everybody that was on set. And everybody was really kind. And um, it was a fun em- environment to work in. And so that kind of like relieved a little bit of my tension. But during filming, the first season where I came in, I it was really, really cool. And the experience of being on set and just like the experience of working with such a big crew was amazing. I couldn't really get myself to be like, oh my God, I'm so excited for the show because there was like still that nervous energy um, that was like, oh, I don't know how people are going to react to this show. You know, so then once um, the show premiered and people actually like responded really positively to it, that was when I was like, okay, I can like be just a little bit more loose on the show and just like put more of me into it and not so much of like what I feel like people are used to and what I feel like people want from the show because of the old host. Um, But yeah, like working with the BuzzFeed team has been amazing because they um they just they really listen to my um opinions on how they want the show to go like they they have like an idea of how they want the show to go but then they would come to me and ask for my opinions and my thoughts and my feedback um and so that makes me feel like really heard and I really appreciate it um and just there I'm also so I'm also work working on that show I'm also working um like I'm also making like original content for Tasty too so like a month each month I create like a video for them um and yeah that's really cool so getting into like I guess to your point about like working with the BuzzFeed creative team and like like having them take your opinions into account like how different is the actual either scripting process or like planning process for an episode um versus the content that you create like on your own channels like your uh cooking competition show uh Tway versus Friends right that's what it's called yeah it is drastically different like it made so working with BuzzFeed has made me a better creator because before working with BuzzFeed it was just so it just wasn't as produced it was just very like relaxed it was very like I would just turn on my camera and record whatever I get I'll put it all together and we'll see if it's a good video right but working with BuzzFeed has made me realize like okay if you write down what you want to get done, if you if you write down all the bullet points of everything that you want to hit, all the um, shots that you want to get, like your video production wise, your video production would be so much smoother because you now have an idea of like what the end results could be. You know, instead of just like wishing for the best, hoping for the best. Now I have an idea of like what I want to grab. Like for my, for Toy versus Friends, like I, I mean, I don't have a producer background. So I didn't know that like, uh, I didn't know that including 
this is so simple, but like I didn't know that including um, like interviews um, between the shots would make it more exciting and would make it more interesting to watch. My first Toy versus Friends, we literally, it was just one camera and that's it. But now it's gotten to the point where it's like, it's three cameras. Um, and then there's also like different sections of the recording, um, an interview section. Uh, uh, and it just made a whole world of a difference learning how to like actually properly produce my content instead of just like, um, I feel like recording today. I'm going to see what I get. I watched one of the episodes um, just right before like we recorded this as I was like prepping and like cutaways to the interviews I thought was like really creative because that's it's almost something that I think about like in reality TV but not so much in like a cooking setting so that was really cool to like have that like step back and hear from you about like you know what's happening because when you're in the moment like cooking especially in a competition I feel like you're just kind of like I, at least for me, when I'm cooking at any time, not in a competition, just like for myself, I'm like frazzled and like it's taking forever and I can't find that spice and I like made a mess. Like I make such a mess in the kitchen. I feel like it's really helpful to get like more context too. And like it was just, it was a like notably like really cool thing that I don't see a lot when I'm watching like YouTube videos in general, but like especially like cooking content. So that was really cool. Um, and so sticking with making it big for a little bit, that season, is that like – over are you coming back to do another season like what's the like I guess future of that show because I think the last one was posted like three months ago or so yeah so I filmed two seasons with them the first season was just regular like making it big the second season was um filmed with a VR camera which I thought was really really cool because I've I mean I honestly I've never seen a cooking like video in VR before. So just like being behind the scenes of that was really interesting because like when I think about virtual reality, I'm like, okay, I'm in the room with you. I can see everything around you, but how would that look like as a cooking show? Um, and it was really cool because the camera was like a 180 camera, um, meaning that it only saw like, this side of the room, like half of the room where uh, the whole set was. So when you put your the VR goggles on, like you could see like the whole um, kitchen, everything you can like see, look down and see what I'm chopping. Like it's it's the uh, such a cool experience. Um, they haven't said anything about a new season, but I had a meeting with the team to discuss like a um, a a new show where it could be like in my restaurant or where they just, just we just had a, a I guess like a brainstorm session of like what could be like a toy show because making it big mm -hmm. even though I am the host of it it's not like my show that like I created and I started so yeah I really don't know right now we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor then we'll be right back I'm Christina Ko, Senior Editor at Custom, Digiday Media's in-house agency. In this podcast, Interstitial Story, sponsored by StackAdapt, we speak with Carly Foy, the company's Director of Sales, about the changes agencies are experiencing and how they can address remaining skills gaps. 
A lot of agencies are trying to future-proof their business. So when that does inevitably happen, there are such things as CDPs in place that we're able to connect to and to be able to still have that personalization without leveraging third-party cookies as much. I still think third-party cookies is going to exist in some capacity. It's a massive industry. However, at the end of the day, I think we're going to see a lot of those smaller players and maybe not the most clean players get played out. And more of those heavy hitters such as Adara or B2B specifically Bombora, those I think will rise to the top, whereas we'll see some others probably fall to the wayside. As third-party cookies are being phased out, agencies are seeing additional shifts. Pitching frequency is changing, according to a survey Digiday and StackAdapt conducted for a recent State of the Industry report. And with this come budget adjustments too. You look at 2023 and you're seeing a rise in four to six times a month in terms of pitching, but you're also seeing a decrease in seven times per month plus. But it's still sizable at the end of the day. I think what we've seen in the pandemic is what we refer to as revenge spending. And because of this, we saw the rise of direct-to-consumer brands. And I think those direct-to-consumer brands are the ones that are probably suffering the most. These advertisers are also the ones that tap into the social media and search digital marketing avenues. And a lot of the times they don't have experiences with attribution specifically. And marketing is usually the first budget to get cut. When you are a smaller direct-to-consumer brand, no matter how successful you are, we're starting to see them turn towards agency partners to get the help where they need. And I think of a lot of the time when we look at GA versus social versus search, what would happen is channels like programmatic and traditional advertising would completely be negated and cut to focus on those lower funnel channels. These DMC brands are starting to recognize that they can't necessarily do that, especially when it comes to the cookie apocalypse. They're realizing they need an attribution system and they need to have advanced analytics to be able to understand the consumer profile outside of what can be offered via search and via social as well. Agencies are increasingly seeing direct-to-consumer brands turning to them for help, especially as these brands realize that the impending cookie deprecation means a big change in the way they're used to building and understanding consumers. However, this is interesting to think about in light of the skills gaps Carly sees among many agency teams. It's mostly within attribution and advanced data analytics. I think that's probably the biggest gap because a lot of the stuff that they've highlighted specifically, like strategy, for example, and creative production, that's all inputs from your analytics. At the end of the day, the whole nature of digital advertising was a way to be able to track outside of Nielsen being like, oh, this family of five watches this TV show and it's a sample size of a thousand. You now have a pretty robust sample size to be able to inform your overall digital marketing strategies and even your traditional marketing strategies. So I think for me specifically, the gap that I see the most is in the audience analytics and understanding the attribution models that you should be looking toward. I think there's been leaps and bounds in terms of what we can offer from an attribution standpoint, not just at Stack It Up, but as a complete industry. But I think the problem is that one, that costs money, and two, people do still have this mindset that search is king or whatever traditional or whatever advertising avenue they prefer is the one that they will always look towards as being their universal source of truth. You've been listening to Carly Foy, Director of Sales at StackAdapt, our sponsor on this episode. And now back to the Digiday podcast. When it comes to entertainment, popular is paramount. It's the most watched TV media family with top shows including NCIS, South Park, 60 Minutes, and the BET Awards. Paramount Plus is the fastest growing streaming service thanks to favorites like 1923, Tulsa King, and the UEFA Champions League. 
And Pluto TV, a leader in free streaming, has nearly 79 million global monthly active users. See more at Paramount.com. So still working with BuzzFeed, figuring out what the next show might be. But you mentioned that you still produce videos for Tasty, like, on, like, a monthly cadence. Yeah. So it, besides my original content, I also create, like, uh, either recipe video for that month or it could be, like, a response video to, um, like, one of their comments that they've gotten or the last three videos that I did for them was a series called like cooking a, a dish from every country. Um, so that was really cool. I think I'm going to continue to do that because um, my style of cooking, I stick to a lot of Vietnamese food um, because that's just what I'm used to. I mean, I'm about to open up a Vietnamese restaurant. So like I don't participate in cooking outside of Vietnamese food so this series that I'm uh doing with BuzzFeed like it it's it's really fun to be able to play around with different flavors and different spices um and different cooking styles and techniques that I am not used to is that just for YouTube or is that like content that's being used on multiple platforms yeah that's content that's being used on multiple platforms Got it. Also, restaurant opening. That's really exciting. Where is it? And will I get a reservation, please? (laughs) Uh, Of course. Um, It's going to be open. We're looking at opening it mid-July. No, not mid-July. Mid-June. So very soon because it's already May. Um, I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but it's very soon um this week i'm actually doing uh recipe and development for the menu the whole the whole week this week so yeah um what else did you ask me you asked me where it's going to be um on la cienega right next to are you based in la i'm in new york so i will come to la for this however (laughs) Yay. So it's basically like in the heart of West Hollywood. Um, It's on La Cienega. So that's where like Barton G is. That's where Catch Steak is. That's where um, the Beverly Center is also. So yeah, like in the heart of West Hollywood. That's so exciting. How hard was it to create a restaurant? Like you're mentioning like you're in the process of figuring out the menu, making sure like the recipe items are like set. But like, how long is this, like, in the making? Like, what was the process of getting a restaurant? Honestly, I didn't know that getting a restaurant was going to be in the books. If you, for me, if you asked me, like, last year, um, beginning of last year. But I, so when I first started to post recipe videos on the internet, I didn't want people to see me as just a person that cooks on the internet because I do this. Like, this is what I do. I am very good at it. 
And I want people to see that. So then I started to host pop-ups. So I brought what people saw online to in person. I saw like they they saw what I could make online, but then they could also buy tickets to my pop-ups to eat the stuff that they've seen me make online. Um, so by doing that, I've created uh, I've got uh, I've created like relationships with um a lot of my friends that own restaurants, a lot of uh, my friends that have spots uh, that, that can just like help me in the industry. So for my first pop-up, I had the opportunity to um, host it at one of the Hwood properties, which was Petite Taqueria. And I sold out like all three nights and it was a huge success. The um, owner of H. Wood, co-owner of H. Wood, Brian Toll, he loved it so much. And he really considered having an Asian uh, concept in the H. Wood portfolio because they've never had that before. And so just knowing that he was interested in like, maybe bringing me on to create an Asian concept for the H. Wood group. I was like, wow, that's very exciting. But like, that was like, I think that happened in like 2021, maybe or 20. Yeah, 2021 was like when I had that first pop up. And it wasn't in and that was when he was like, okay, like maybe and then I was like, hmm, well, I'm not going to wait on your maybe. So then I just started doing my I just started doing other stuff like all of my pop-ups kind of range from like sit down dinners to omakase courses like to multiple courses to just like very chill like sandwich pop-ups like little lunchbox that you can just like pre-order and like pick up right so that gave me the opportunity to really kind of see like what's what what do I really like in an operation if I were to open a restaurant? So I had that like flexibility to kind of play around and like have like that real life experience of like, hmm, do I like like the more casual kind of dining or do I like like that like really hardcore like sit down dinner and you're like preparing all these little courses, right? And till this day, my favorite pop-up was my... um my sit down like five course dinner and I just feel like people because people really got to see like my skill and I got to really practice my skill that was the reason why it was my favorite so uh fast forward to I think the end of last year around like August September August something somewhere around there um Brian came to my team and he was like, "Hey, like we uh we really want this to happen. Like let's let's set up like a tasting to for the rest of Ashwood to like really try your food and see if like we like it." And so I kind of walked into that tasting was and I didn't want to get my hopes up because I was just like, I don't want to be too excited and they don't like my food. And like, I walk away with like nothing, right? So I just like went into it, just doing the best that I I can. I laid it all out. I pulled out everything that I could and they loved it. It didn't really hit me 
that I was opening up my own restaurant until there was like a group chat that was created with like all of the heads of Agewood um, asking me like, so what's the name of the restaurant? And for the longest time, we just couldn't decide on the name, um, whether that be like through like uh, a legal reason or like just people didn't like it. And we ended up with a name that we really love, um, which is Didi. Um, and I love it because it's a Vietnamese word for let's go. Um, I love that they love a Vietnamese word for the name of the restaurant that's in West Hollywood. So it's just, yeah. Now it's it's really, really real because yesterday we just had like... Um, We just had a recipe development for some of the menu items. And then we're we're also doing it today too. So it's real. <laughs> that is so cool. So like you mentioned that there might be a show with BuzzFeed that kind of incorporates your restaurant. Like how does your restaurant gonna, how is that gonna play into your like content creation? Like because you're now a restaurateur, do you have to like pull back on like the video output or are you gonna be like blending them more Absolutely together? Absolutely like, not. Plan? Absolutely not. So I want my restaurant to be like my production studio, basically, because we're going to be open from 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. That leaves me with the whole morning to play with either the kitchen or the front of the house, which is incredibly so decorated so beautifully. Um, I just yeah, like we actually just had a um a brainstorm session about the content that we're going to be creating for the restaurant and that makes me really excited so there's definitely going to be way more videos <laughs> that is so cool well i am excited next time i'm in la which will probably be after you open because i don't go to la that much but next time i'm there i will be there it please let me know let me know when you're here so Quickly, like going back to like the video production, I do want to talk because you mentioned something about brand deal turnaround time sometimes being very fast. Um, curious how like brand deals have been performing over the past like six months or so in general. Because like one trend that like media companies like BuzzFeed have been talking about is this like slow down in the ad market, but then like this really rapid need to churn out like branded content or like ad campaigns because advertisers like just kind of need to have it up. Like it's been that budget as soon as they get it. Um, but curious like how your relationship with brands or like your brand partnerships business has been doing over the past six months. Is it like that kind of very fast paced dealings or like is it pretty business as usual? Yeah, it's pretty fast paced if I would say so um but I I'm super grateful for all of my partners that I've worked with um and I try my best to also be a good partner to them so like they do their best to deliver like the briefs and the decks and everything like on time and so like I in turn have to create like an internal um like content uh guideline and content like deadline for whatever they need me to turn like whenever they need from like this is the brief this is the deck and this is the date where I want you to turn it in like we I try my best to like work with my content team to like be able to really hit that mark and deliver like the best of our ability um and in terms of like how like the ads are like they 
when people see ads online, they just kind of get like get turned off. They don't really like um, interact with it because like they see that as like, oh, well, this is an ad, you know. But then I've come to realize that if you really put in the time and effort to um, put your personality, put your story and put how you relate to that ad and create like a video, people will definitely respond to that. So I feel like I've kind of cracked the code here. <laughs> yeah. And is YouTube like the best platform for like monetizing content or have other platforms kind of like come up as a good revenue driver? Like we had um, one creator on, I think Alyssa McKay was her name and she made like a million dollars on Snapchat last year, right? Like there's like money to be made on other platforms, but I've always heard YouTube is the best at like driving revenue or like driving ad dollars at least, but curious what your perspective is on that. So for me, I do not make money on YouTube. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I make money on YouTube, but it's only like a few hundred dollars to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the, the one platform that's making me my major like paychecks. Um, Instagram used to pay because they used to have a reels program where they would pay for you to like post reels and like depending on how much views you get, like you get paid through there. But they recently just stopped that. Um, and now I actually make money from Snapchat from post from their ads revenue. So it's like for every uh, six snaps, there's an ad. And so like I get paid through there. So right now I'm getting paid the most on Snapchat and um, through my brand deals. Are brands like specifically interested in certain platforms? Because with Kat Stickler, who was on the beginning of the creator series, she like has a very big like TikTok presence. But she was saying like some brands were kind of steering clear from the platform with like how uncertain it is around like a potential TikTok ban. I So for me... Um, a lot of my brand deals are posted on Instagram and TikTok. So I haven't seen like brands telling me like, don't post on TikTok because of the TikTok ban. However, on Twitter is a different story because there was um, when the whole Elon Musk taking over uh, t- uh, Twitter. Sorry, there's just so many platforms. <laughs> I know. Um, so when he took over Twitter... There was a brand deal that I had going on over there, but it actually had to pause and like it was just it just caused a lot of confusion. There were a lot of brands that were pulling out of Twitter that just didn't want to be on the platform. And it was just like a a, a really huge thing when it came to like brands on Twitter. So I now like there's no brand deals that are on Twitter currently for me. Yeah. Uh, that I've definitely I've definitely heard that too like for publishers as well like that platform has done a really good job of getting advertisers off it yes <laughs> Which, you know I'm also curious because I know BuzzFeed has its like creator network and has like the creator score it uses to help like understand how a, a brand campaign performs or like a creator video performs. Not sure if you've like seen that directly or like have used it at all, but I am curious because like you have content that you create for Tasty 
like on a somewhat monthly basis. You've worked with them on making it big. Do you work with BuzzFeed in any way around like brand deals or like working with uh, like, I guess, like ads in any way on your main content too? Um, so in, I do believe so, but I haven't gotten a brand directly from BuzzFeed, but I do know that their team is like pitching me for, um, the brand deals. So hopefully fingers crossed. Got it. Yeah. I was just curious, like if you're, if you end up still like selling like your own brand deal separate outside of BuzzFeed, which would make sense, but I don't know like how close your relationship is with their like creator network but that makes sense like they're pitching and you do your stuff on the side too which is smart I'm sure um and then in regards to like the stuff you create for BuzzFeed like how does it relate to like in terms of like ownership or like copyright or like IP all that fun stuff like do you have ownership over like any of the stuff that you've created for them or is the like partnership that it's all branded for like Tasty and BuzzFeed. So like basically can you take, you know, if you made something for Tasty, like you're cooking um, a new cuisine, a new style of cuisine, and you're like, oh, this would be really interesting to put on my main channel. Like are you able to like post in tandem and put it on your channels too or does it remain all like under BuzzFeed's header? Yeah, so BuzzFeed has been like really, really great with like sharing the content because like when they post, they just – also invite me as a collaborator so it's also on my page as well um and like they've never really had a problem with me like using my con like using the content that I made for them like on my channel so Mm -hmm. that's that's cool and like from an audience standpoint too because I know like Tasty's YouTube page has like 20 million followers or something like it's like really crazy but how does the audience compare to your audience? Like, is it a similar demographic? Like, do you have the opportunity to take a lot of new, um, like, viewers and bring them over to your channel? Like, have you seen, like, a bridge between, like, the tasty content and your follower, like, following at all? Like, how does the audience piece play into it? Yeah, so my audience and Tasty's content, I mean, Tasty's audience is so different from each other because mine are, like, college uh just moved out of the house more like vietnamese asian following and then tasty's following is more so like mm, middle of america white mom uh that's like watching their content so it's like it's an opportunity for me to also like reach that audience and have them come over too have you seen that kind of happen like you mentioned that um like your tiktok audience has done a good job of kind of going to your other channels like has tasty's audience kind of done the same thing absolutely um i think they really helped me on Instagram. This was actually way before I even started working with Tasty, like actually working with Tasty. Um, they did a compilation of my videos on TikTok that I've posted and they reposted it on their Instagram. And from that one video that they posted on Instagram, I went from like 90,000 followers on Instagram to like 200,000 followers. On oh, wow. Instagram, which is insane. It's so crazy, but they definitely helped. (laughs) 
All right. So I guess looking ahead in 2023, as we've discussed, there are a ton of platforms, a ton of things changing, like algorithms change all the time. Um, you know, TikTok might potentially be banned. But in addition to your restaurant, what are some other things that you're really focusing on as a creator, as a chef, as a um, you know personality online that you're really excited about? So besides the restaurant, I am also working on my cookbook. I have been working on this cookbook for so long now, but it's only because I have so many things going on at the same time. But I feel like that's an excuse. Um, I am, I just finished like wrapping up the cookbook, like writing portion of it. And next week is actually the um, the week where we shoot the content. So like where we shoot the food, um, the lifestyle aspect of it um, and all of that. So that's, that would be after that, the cookbook is done. <laughs> and then um, just my original content on top of like also like brand deals and um, working with BuzzFeed on like a new show possibly. So. Yeah, that's awesome. It's because you mentioned like you first started posting recipe videos at the beginning of COVID, right? So like it's been three years and to see like how much stuff you've done based off of that in a three-year period, including a restaurant, that's crazy. Like that's that's a lot to happen in such a short amount of time. Yeah, social media, if it wasn't for social media, I would absolutely not be here. Um, social media has changed my life and so many other people's lives just because we're not waiting around to have people make stuff happen for us we're just making it happen for ourselves yeah absolutely that is the tagline for this episode so thank you so much Toy, for joining me this was a really great conversation i appreciate you taking the time yeah of course thank you so much and thank you for joining us we'll be back next week with another episode 